brilliant. Um, I hope you don't mind if I begin with something just a little bit, a bit kind of lighthearted. You okay with that? Yeah? The, um, I, I came home one evening um, to find Joe watching a show that is absolutely horrible, okay? Um, it's called One Born Every Minute, <laughs> right? Is it, people have come across this show, right? It's about labor, and it's just absolutely horrible. Um, the kids were asleep. And the TV wasn't on very loud, and yet I couldn't get far enough from the way, way, away from the TV to not hear the screams of agony that were coming through. And you, you kind of ask, like, why would anyone watch this? <laughs> Absolutely horrible. And for me, it took me back to the, immediately, it sort of took me back to the trauma that Joe went through. Um, what was interesting to me um, is that it's amazing how women seem to forget how bad it was, Right? What on earth? Otherwise, you'd think they would never have more than one child. And yet, without question, I think, um, if you ask a mother if it's worth it, even while it's fresh in their memory, I, I expect they would say that it is, right? Now, our passage, I mentioned that um, because our passage today uses groaning in childbirth as a powerful metaphor for living in the midst of pain while longing for the good that's coming. So, again, think about that. It uses it as a metaphor several times for living in the midst of pain while longing for the good that's coming. So that's what we're going to get into today. But first of all, let me take you into three groans that we see in our passage. So first of all, um, in verse 22, we find this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in, the, as in the pains of childbirth. So again, look at it right there. That's the metaphor that he's using, as in the pains of childbirth. Whole creation has been groaning. So first of all, creation groans. And we find that talked about in verses 18 to 22. And using words such as suffering, vanity, bondage, decay, pain. And so creation groans. We find then it, it develops from there in verses 23 to 25. We as believers groan. We've had a foretaste of heaven, essentially, and so we long for what's coming. So we read this in 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So creation groans. We as believers groan. And then we find in the passage that the Holy Spirit groans. In verse 26, in the same way, in the same way, the Spirit helps in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And so we find the Holy Spirit feels our burdens and prays for us with groans. And so this metaphor of groaning as in childbirth is used throughout this passage. Creation groans. As believers, we groan, and the Holy Spirit groans. And so why use this illustration? Well, a few reasons. Firstly, it, it, it was and still is a common example of suffering. When we think about pain and suffering, we all understand the suffering that, we, that is found in childbirth. But it also holds with it the hope of what's coming. And it's the, this metaphor is also used here because it was mentioned, um, it was mentioned at the fall and this passage is significantly connected to the fall in Genesis chapter 3, where pain in childbirth and futility, which also comes up in this passage, were part of the curse. 
the curse in Genesis 3 that one day will be reversed. And so this metaphor that's being used connects to what, I'm, what I want to take you into, and there's two parts to this. And that's, first of all, the pain of our current situation, and secondly, the hope and longing for what's coming. Now, my prayer this morning is that we, we might be able to have hope in the midst of pain, that we can learn from our pain, that we can use it to draw near God and long for heaven. Now, let me just say up front, though, this morning that if right now you're in the middle of something really painful, really difficult, I feel like thinking about the, how to understand pain, if you're in the middle of something difficult, that's not the time to hear it. In fact, really, if you're not in significant pain right now, now's the time for you to take this on board. If you're in the middle of significant pain, you need other people to help you. You need to be able to, you need other people to carry you in that sort of time. And what should happen, what I, what I would hope would happen, is that we know how to understand our pain so that when the tough times come, we can look back um, to what we, what we decided back there when we, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you're, um, you know how you, you never make a big decision when you're tired? Right? I hope you never do. Right? It's like how you never make a big decision when you're tired because you're, you're smart. You know when, when you're tired, you don't really have the capacity to make a big decision. Um, in the same way, we don't figure out our understanding around pain when we're in pain. Um, instead, we need to decide that when we're at our best. Okay? And so... Um, so this morning, if you're in great pain, man, I hope, like, we as a church, we want to lift you up. We want to hold you. We want to help you um, in that time. But I also want to give us some things this morning um, that will help us understand pain that come from our, our passage. Now, um, anybody, you guys, are, you guys are clever people, right? You guys want a $10 word? Yeah? Happy with this? Um, theodicy. Anybody ever come across theodicy before? Look at that. It's like a few people. So a couple of these. Okay. Um, theodicy, the, it's, not, it's not only a Christian word, but it's often used in Christian theology, philosophy. Also, some other religions use it. It means, um, theodicy means, um, essentially there's a question behind it. How can God be a loving God when there is suffering? Or how can God be a loving God when there's evil? That's what's behind theodicy. And I think it's good to know that actually there are lots of answers to the problem of pain, to the question of suffering and pain as Christians. There are lots of good answers. And our passage is unusual in that it gives several answers to the problem of pain that um, it doesn't give the full picture, but does give several answers to that problem um, that I want to take you into real quick this morning to begin, okay? So first, check this out. In verse 17, what we're told before our passage for today, it, basically it was expected that we would suffer for Christ. It says that we would share in his sufferings. That's referring to persecution. Um, but the again, it also more broadly points to a theology of suffering. And, and so what we get is, again, several things. Let me, let me take you into the first one. First thing that we see that might help us with how we understand pain and suffering is that creation is broken. Has been since Genesis chapter 3. This includes 
Toil, disease, DNA, natural disasters, decay. Much of the pain we experience is part of the uncomfortable fact that the world is broken. Genesis 3 says that the source of this is sin. And in verse 20, we see that God has allowed this to happen um, because in verse 20, it points to God having a plan that he's working out through the brokenness of our world. And so when you suffer, you're not alone. All of creation is suffering, and many that have gone before us have suffered as well. And I love that we get this wrong, right? Um, so, for example, in poetry, in lots of places, you'll get this idea that when a baby is born, they're absolutely perfect, right? It's not true, right? I mean, like, it's, it's a nice idea. And when you come across it in poetry, you might go, oh, yes, of course, everything that comes, because the baby comes directly from God and it's perfect. That's not true of the world that we know. Creation is broken. We find that here in our text. But more than that, a second thing I'd want you to notice here is that the broken order of things is temporary. Creation knows, we know, the Spirit knows that the current order of things will one day be made right. Um, let me just share. A, there was a, a girl that I was, a teenager that I was kind of in a counseling moment with. And it was kind of a hard um, hard story where basically what had happened is her father had been in a car accident was brain damaged and his and so the way that he related to the rest of his family had dramatically shifted and he was he was often mean to her it was a very difficult environment to live in and so she was she was telling me about this and she was saying um, that basically sometimes when she's um, washing the dishes she would look at the knives and wish she had the courage. You, you get the idea. And I'm sitting there in that moment trying to figure out what to tell her. And it felt like a God thing at the time where I said to her, hold on, okay, all right, let's just set that aside for a moment. And I said, if you were to think of yourself in five years, what do you see? Or in 10 years, what do you see? And, and I got this teenage girl talking about what she hoped one day would happen, how one day maybe she'd like to be married and she'd like to have kids. And, and I got her to think about this future reality. And then when we came back to what she was currently experienced, it meant she, was, she felt encouraged. She felt like she could kind of hold on, that she held on. That, that was what she was, that's the hope she was longing for. You see, what we find in our passage is that the broken order of things is temporary. That we're looking forward to one day when all will be made right. The third thing we see in this passage that connects to how we understand pain is that Jesus brought a foretaste of heaven. Essentially that heaven breaks in sometimes. In verse 23 it says that we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Essentially it's a, it's a taste of what's coming. Um, Thomas Smale, um, quote, quoted in Ken, Ken Blue's book, Authority to Heal, says this. Check this out. When the prayer made in faith is not answered, and the healing for which many have sought does not come, we're not to look for someone to accuse of failure in faith. Rather, we are to remember that besides faith, there is hope. Hope has to do with God's promises that are still future and hidden, just as faith has to do with God's promises that are here now. 
To the person who has believed for today but has not seen the answer come today, there comes the call to hope. Hope says, tomorrow is also God's. Enough has happened already to assure you that the rest is on its way. And so we see that creation is broken, that the broken order of things is, te- order of things is temporary, that Jesus brought a foretaste of heaven that sometimes breaks into this world, but we're not in heaven yet. And we see in this passage that God cares for us in our suffering. And so, you know, what we see here is that in verses 26 and 27, the Spirit of God is interceding for us to God the Father passionately with groans. Um, there was a, when I was, at one point I was an intern. And I was an intern for a large church. Um, and what happened is we had a, we had a kind of like a little fleet of minibuses, as you do, okay? And so the, we had some rules as interns that when we were driving these minibuses, we were supposed to be careful in certain ways. And one of those ways was um, there was a problem where teenage boys thought it was really funny to jump onto the minibus for a ride, okay? Especially when we were, you know, you got to think American terms, big car park. <laughs> um, and when we were kind of, you know, moving the vans from one part of the car park to another, they thought it great to jump even on the front of the minibus and hold on to the front while it was being moved. And we were told very clearly that we needed to stop these these boys from doing this and tell them that they should not and, 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 you know, you get the idea. One of the interns I was working with, um, he, one day, he's driving one of those minibuses some boys jump onto the front. He tells them, get off, but he doesn't stop. He keeps driving. And he doesn't realize something out of the corner of his eye. Got a, little, a boy named Scott, a teenage boy named Scott. Falls off the front corner of the bus, and his leg just barely gets trapped under the tire and slaps his body into the pavement. And because of complications, Scott, was really close to death for a very long time. Now, I can tell you, the good news of this is that actually for Scott, he would tell the story of how God took hold of his life in those times when he was near death and how he's a, he was a completely changed person because of what happened through it. But what I want to focus right now is on my, my, my friend who was also an intern who was driving the minibus. And so for him... There's something interesting here in that he was, in his Christianity, he was what I would call a determinist, meaning that he believed that God was so powerful that every little thing is determined by God. The way a leaf falls to the ground is determined by God. And so when he went through this, the pain of what was happening, he became angry at God. He couldn't understand why God would allow this to happen. He, you can imagine how actually in the moment when he should be drawing close to God and finding comfort, instead his wrong beliefs about God made him angry at God. What we find in our passage here is that, you know what, there's some things that are going to happen that are painful, and in that time the Holy Spirit is, is interceding for us with groans that words cannot express. That actually in those moments God wants to draw near us and comfort us wants to be close to us. 
And so that just gives you a picture of what we see in our passage here of the pain of our current situation and how we should understand our pain. But it doesn't stop there because the, the passage is not just about holding on and waiting for the morning. The assumption here is that we're longing for heaven in a way that makes it hard to be patient. Notice a few of the phrases we get here. Um, in verse 19, it says that the creation waits in eager expectation. And in verse 23, it says about us as believers that we wait eagerly. I, I mean, I love that picture. That actually we've got such a, a taste of what's coming, such an understanding of what's coming, that we can't wait for it. It drives us a little bit crazy. And in verse 18, this passage that we're looking at today starts with the idea that, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Um, check this out. A passage that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 sounds very similar to this to me. And in, in verse 4, 17, what he says is he says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now the thing I find interesting, if we can just sit for a moment with that passage in 2 Corinthians 4, is that when he says our light and momentary troubles, later on in the same letter, he writes about some of the troubles he's facing. Like, right? Is anybody familiar with this? So in 2 Corinthians 11, in the same letter, like so you know, he's writing this at the same time, he writes this. Check it out. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And he can say in light of all of this, are light and momentary troubles. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. And about the same time, just a little after when he wrote, write, writes First and Second Corinthians, we get the book of Romans where he's able to say, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Samuel Rutherford says it this way, Our little time of suffering is not worth our first night's welcome home. I love, um, I've got a little excerpt from a letter that George MacDonald wrote. And he was writing, George MacDonald was a Scottish preacher, and he was writing to a, to a friend um, when his friend was old and sick. And just catch part of this, this, this letter. Here's what, what he wrote. To my loved and honored old friend, I was glad to have your letter, and I'm sorry to hear of your suffering. The shadows of the evening that precedes a lovelier morning are drawing down around us both. But our God is in the shadows as in the shine, and all is and will be well. Have we not seen his glory in the face of Jesus, and do we not know him a little? The 
This life is a lovely school time, but I was never content with it. I look for better, oh, so far better. May the loving Father be near you, and may you know it, and be perfectly at peace all the way into the home country. You see, our passage again and again calls us to hope. We appreciate some groans. Um, to, to hope. In verse 20, we, we hear that God's ultimate design is in hope. In verse 21, creation hopes because one day it will be set free. In verse 23, we hope because our, our bodies will be redeemed. In verses 24 and 25, hope comes up like five times, again and again and again. And so we groan with longing because the pain we experience now actually points us to the fact that one day everything will be made right. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. I want to I close with a, um, with a story that, that I hope, especially for some, if you're in a time of pain, might be helpful. And it's one that might be well-known. Some people might, you might have come across this before. And there's probably been several stories that are similar, but you'll see why I'm sharing it. Uh, it's a story about a little boy named Dominic, who, um, he was eight years old when this happened. And he was with his, basically he was with his father, and they were skiing, and they tried a new lift. And they, the, the little eight-year-old ended up going a direction that he wasn't meant to go and got lost. Okay. And, and so there was more than 90 people that searched all night long for this little eight-year-old boy. You can imagine as a parent, it'd be absolutely terrifying, right? And, the, uh, and, and what happened is the next morning, they even sent out a few helicopters, and they eventually um, were able to find the little boy. And here's what the, um, the area search and rescue coordinator said after that, that, that morning. He said this, he's in super shape. In fact, he's in better shape than we are right now. And see, what had happened is, is that Dominic, and this is sort of advice they give to kids sometimes now, whatever, what Dominic had done is he had gone um, against a tree and he had slept the night, cuddled up against a tree and put branches around him um, to give him some sort of protection and warmth. And as a young child, now check this out, as a young child, he, went, he didn't have that idea on his own right? He was simply obeying the advice of his father. Uh, here's the thing. When we're in a time of pain, it feels like you're being spun around. It's, it's hard to find our bearings. It's difficult. It's scary. But we need to remember and trust God in that time so that he can draw near to us, so that we can draw near to him, so that we can find the comfort that we need. And in the night when we don't understand, when we're scared, we can know that we are safe with him. Let's pray. Father, um, for those of us
those that are um, in times of pain. Father, I pray that you would come near them. Father, I pray that you would help us to know how to help each other. Father, I pray that if we're in a time where we need to be carried by others, Father, that you'd help us to be, to be able to be vulnerable, to be able to reach out to others, to find the help that we need. Father, I pray that you would just remind us of your love in a way that sticks with us regardless of what we face. In Jesus' name, amen.